Everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. Lauren was so quick on that because it's been a while since we've been here. It's been a while since you've heard our voices. We miss you all. But we promise we've been busy. Yeah, oh God. (laughs) Lauren is 100% correct on us being busy. But that doesn't mean we can't bring you a show this month and a show every month in the future. Maybe not forever, but we'll see. (laughs) I can't promise I'll be doing this till the day that I die, but who knows? Maybe. That would be cool. So... Uh, we are here, we are back, talking, uh, we're gonna do our little detour segment, we're gonna read our script, we're gonna interview our writer, as you know that we do. So, our script this week is Magic Hour by Ben Saleh, and it was a great read. A great read and a great interview. Yeah. Well, we're kind of saying that in the future. We have done the interview, but we've not done the script yet. So. I guess that's true. But I know it's going to be a great read because it's a great script. And that's right. And we're pretty solid actors. It's just the two of us. You're <laughs> actually with us for the majority of the episode, and Ben comes in at the end as well. So, uh, hope you missed us. <laughs> anyway. Hope you missed us. Uh, Jackson, do you know if we got any new Apple Podcast reviews this week? Oof. You know, I haven't looked. So, you go ahead okay. and uh Well, uh, if you have not rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it. It really helps the show. Um, that is, like, the number one metric that Apple uses for your visibility. So, if you, like, search the green light, you know, that will make us, like, the first show that shows up or you know ideally what we would really love is if we could make it onto the top 150 in the tv and film category because it's a very competitive category it is it is a very competitive category uh yeah uh we do not have any uh new reviews however i we apparently have at least one one star rating (laughs) oh we've we've had that have we we've had that yeah i i don't know i guess somebody was mad at us but maybe a mm. disgruntled writer Perhaps. Perhaps, mayhaps. Um, anyway, yeah, please do that. Uh, that really, really helps the show. You know another way you can directly help the show, Jackson? I think that's with Patreon, Lauren. That's with Patreon. That's with Patreon. So you can join our Patreon club. You can become one of the littest of green lights. True. Um, and the thing eh. is, we don't even just have all of our green light content on there, which is like occasional ramble episodes about stuff that we've watched, uh, monthly green lit episodes, road trip episodes about... Um, scripts that we analyze stuff like that we also have some content for our other show the mass singer podcast i was not Um, on that so right now we've been doing uh mass singer uk episodes on our patreon as well so you can get all of that there um and that's only at the one dollar a month level so that's like the cheapest subscription ever yes it is check that out and do we have any other housekeeping stuff to talk about I follow us on social media, I guess, at oh, TGL underscore pod. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, at GreenLightPod on Facebook. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think that's it. I think that we can dive into our detour segment. Let's dive. Let's dive. So, this is a segment where we talk about oh, something we've... We didn't talk about what we do on the show. Oh, what do we do on the show, Lauren? <laughs> oh, now I'm about to sneeze. Hold on. Um, well, we read awesome scripts and interview the people who write them. Yes, we do. If you're that's new, the thing. then that's what we do. Yeah, and if you're part of Ben's family. Hello. Yeah, true. Hi, hi, Ben's family and friends. Uh, also, we what we do at the beginning of the show, to sort of ease everybody in, we do a little detour segment where we talk about something we've consumed. Now it'll be in the past month. 
uh, whether it be a movie, a TV show, a uh, book, 10-year-old video game, etc. Lauren just had an epiphany, actually. Okay, so shall I start us off, Lauren? Mine's pretty timely, I would say. You go for it. So if you've been on the internet or on Netflix, you probably have seen or heard of the TV show that is currently sweeping the world, I would say. Not just the nation, the world. And that TV show is Squid Game. Squid Game, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe has become the most popular Netflix show of all time, maybe? Yeah, I believe I read that. At least Netflix original, I believe, yeah. So, it is released this year. It is a uh, Korean show. Uh, the series is direct, written and directed by Huang Dok, Dong Hyuk. Uh, please, I apologize right now if I'm mispronouncing some of these names, because all of the people that worked on this show are very talented. This show stars Lee Jung-jae, Park, Park Hae-soo, Wee Ha-joon, Jung Ho-yeon, Oh Young-soo, Hyo Sung-tae, and Anupam Tripathi. So, like I said, this is a, uh, this is a Korean show. Let's do a little bit of a synopsis for those of you who don't know what it's about. So. Hundreds of cash-strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games. Inside, a tempting prize awaits with Deadly High Sticks, a survival game that has a whopping 45.6 billion won prize at stake. And roughly in American dollars, for all of us uh, American listeners, that's, I believe, in the millions of dollars. I think it's like $25 million or something like that. So very, a lot of money at stake for these people. So yeah, uh, the the general idea behind this, like I said, is there are these people who are in very varying degrees of debt, but most of them pretty life-threatening debt, as we get with our main character. He, uh, he He's in a lot of debt. And they're invited to just compete in this game. And it turns out this game is, uh, you have to do a bunch of children's games. And I guess this isn't a spoiler. If, if you lose in the children's games... You die. So. You die. Yeah. Uh, wh- one thing that I find really interesting about this is, uh, I, I, uh, this has been going around the internet as well. This writer-director was uh, shopping the script for over 10 years. I think he wrote it in 2009 and has tried to uh, get it made since then. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think this is the perfect time for it to be released. Once again, it's obviously agree. sweeping the world. And I think just the themes and things are, are very timely right now. Just sort of the themes about class difference, uh, not only applying in just Korea, obviously applying in the United States as well, and just uh, things like that. Now, this show is, I think, made for me because I, I just, it's one Are of those you shows. you in life-threatening debt? That, well, <laughs> not yet. But this show, I think, is perfect, like, exactly what I look for in a show. There's, there's some mystery to it. There's a game and or a tournament that's happening. I love a good game or tournament. You do. That's why Goblet of Fire is my favorite Harry Potter movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it has awesome acting. And really great writing. And those two things most people like, but the first two things, you know, not everyone loves, but I do. And there's, you know, this is a pretty violent show. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of blood, I'll say. There's a pretty significant amount of blood. Once again, there's a decent amount of death, because they start off with 456 players, and I'll give you a hint, not everyone survives. (laughs) So... 
I think some of the strong points about the show, like I said, are sort of just this idea, this concept is really strong. And then I think I really like the acting. I, I thought I was able to really um, connect with a lot of the characters. Now, I'll say this. I watched this with the uh, Korean language with subtitles, with English subtitles. I I have heard that the subtitles and the English dubbing are you you American audiences might miss some of the deeper themes because of the translation. I still think this show is great. Uh, I still think it's definitely worth watching. However, I would suggest if you can watching it uh, with just the English subtitles instead of the English dub. Now, not everyone has that luxury. Some people have difficulty reading and watching a show at the same time, de depending on different issues. However, if you can and if you're able, I would say watch this with the subtitles and the Korean language because I think, you know, you miss a lot of those great performances if you have it dubbed, and I think the performances are one of the, the strongest part. Yeah. Now, that being said, this show is not perfect. There are a couple things... Uh, plot-wise that I don't feel like are really wrapped up, and that might be because there's a season two. You know, the writer-director has come out and said that there's not plans for a season two. However, I read an article today where he said he's been thinking about it more because so many people have been wanting it and so many people have really loved the show. But I think as Get it... That check. <laughs> yeah. If this stands alone, there are some plot things that I think could have been wrapped up a little better. Um, some of the subplots felt... Um, more just for exposition as opposed to being fully fleshed out stories. Um, but th there's also a debate about the ending of the show, about what the, the decision the main character makes that uh, I think is, is, is a fun debate, and I don't think is necessarily a flaw of the show, but just an interesting thing to talk about. Hmm. But Squid Game overall is a fantastic show. There's a reason why a lot of people are watching it, why literally more people have watched this show than... Any other Netflix original, at least in, in its beginning stages, uh, because it's uh, most people are going to like this show. I think. Once if if you have an aversion to violence, maybe not, but uh, I I think that's sort of the only thing that should stop you from watching this show because it's very good. It is uh, it's a strong script, strong acting, strong directing. The the they're actually really cool uh, cinematography choices as well. Some visually, it looks great too. So, Squid Game on Netflix, if you haven't heard about it, then this is your cue to go and watch it. All right. So, I had uh, one thing pulled up, but I decided I'm going to make that more of an honorable <laughs> mention for this month. So, um, a movie that I saw in theaters this past month was oh. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. <sighs> um, Carnage. <laughs> He doesn't sound like that. Go ahead. He doesn't. Okay. Um, no, he sounds anyway. like Woody Harrelson. <laughs> so this is a Marvel movie. Um, this is a sequel to Venom starring Tom Hardy. This has Tom Hardy again uh, and Woody mm -hmm. Harrelson, also Michelle Williams. Um, those are kind of the, the main three people in it. Uh, and there's one other There's one other woman who's a major cast member in it. Um, but anyway, this basically, the summary is Eddie Brock attempts to reignite his career uh, his journalism career mm. by interviewing serial killer Cletus Cassidy, who becomes the host of the symbiote Carnage and escapes prison after a failed execution. Mm. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this character Cletus Cassidy, he is obviously Woody Harrelson. Um, he like killed 
several of his family members, you know, and was in this basically like a children's mental institution for much of his youth, Mm. um, is now in prison on death row and is wanting to grant Eddie Brock like kind of an exclusive right before he dies. Oh. Um, Yeah, and he also (laughs) has a whole thing where like, you know, this is right at the beginning, so this isn't really a spoiler, but um, he has a romantic relationship with someone he was in this sort of like child's uh, mental asylum with who has uh, the power of sonic screams. Ooh. So she has sort of been taken away, isolated this whole time. He hasn't seen her since, you know, he's afraid that she might be dead, but he keeps trying to sort of get things out into the world, like through people like Eddie, mm-hmm. uh, messages for her. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it was, it was definitely kind of interesting. So um, anyway, uh, long story short, um, he ends up, he has the symbiote carnage, um, which is similar to Venom, but more powerful, kind of made of like, almost, he's literally made from like alien blood and guts. Yeah. Um, and you can tell with his color. Yeah, he looks like blood and has little entrail things. That I guess I, that I didn't. I forgot that Venom didn't really have those. I don't know why, mm. but yeah, I kind of yeah. forgot that like Venom didn't really have all those extra little arms. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the the intestine arms. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Carnage is like obviously very very powerful. You know, I'm sure you can uh, surmise that this gets him out of jail, gets him out of execution. So, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so uh, it's basically just a big, you know, fight between these two behemoths. Um, <laughs> these two very thick Godzilla boys. v. Kong, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Um, but honestly, my favorite parts of this movie were similar to the first Venom, are just the scenes that Eddie and Venom have together, mm. right? Because in the first Venom, a lot of it is just Eddie coming to terms with Venom and, you know, yeah. coming to terms with not being able to get rid of him, coming to terms with, like who Venom is, like, having to eat chickens whole and wanting to eat people, you yep, know, like, yep, sure. trying to come to terms with that. So um, this movie, you know, again, because it is a sequel, he's kind of already comes to terms with that. We're seeing more of just, like, their daily lives living together, you know, comedic things of Venom interfering in his daily life. Like, mm. so those are a lot of my favorite scenes of them together. Um, I wasn't honestly a big fan of the 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 fights in this oh interesting um in particular like the big final fight i don't know i found it kind of underwhelming hmm. but um just a bunch of tendrils well uh yeah mostly <laughs> sure um but you know i i think that what really makes this movie is like the scenes with venom and eddie and also woody harrelson's performance mm. he's always great he's all woody harrelson's always great you can't tell me he's had a bad performance ever exactly so uh, let me find uh, Naomi Harris. That's the last person in this. Mm, um, yeah, who is uh, oh. Woody Harrelson's girlfriend. I did not know this was directed by Andy Serkis. Directed by Andy Serkis. That's, That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Also, uh, I have not seen this, actually, which makes me a bad Marvel fan. But uh-huh. there is a pretty big end credit scene, correct? Obviously, don't spoil it, but... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's just a lot of implications in the credit scene. It's not sure. that a lot, like, in particular happens, but there are heavy implications in the post-credit scene. And there is only one, if you haven't seen it yet. Whoa. You don't have to look it up. Only one. I always look it up at the end. I'm like, how many end credit scenes are there? Exactly. You gotta know. Gotta have that knowledge. You gotta know. Okay. Is that all you have to say about Venom? I think that's all I have carnage? to say about Venom. I just want to do a quick little honorable mention yes, of uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion. Yes. Just came out 2021. It's it's like 
under an hour, so it's very much like a special. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just watched that last night as a house. Uh, it was a lot of fun based on, you know, the Haunted Mansion movie, which is based on the Haunted Mansion ride Yes. Um, at Disney. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was aggressively meta, yeah, for sure. It was. There was a lot of like, this is my only cameo in this movie, budget cuts, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. So there's that. But I did still think it was a lot of fun. Um, the Obviously, the, the celebrity appearances are always a blast yeah. in, in any Muppet thing. Yeah, Lauren and I were talking about this. It is so funny how, like, even most of the minor characters, minor human characters in Muppets movies are, like, big celebrities. No, literally. Like, <laughs> if you're, like, an extra in a Muppets movie, like... You're still famous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I it, it's funny. The Muppets are the stars, and it's true. This one, this one follows uh, uh, Gonzo and Pepe closely. Yeah. They're, they're sort of our, our two leads here. Gonzo's honestly. Well, do you have a favorite Muppet? <laughs> um, I haven't thought about it much, but no, not off the top of my head. Is Gonzo your favorite? Gonzo's a good one. I think one. Gonzo might be my favorite. I I just really like Gonzo, and I don't know. I I think he just has a special place in my heart from Muppets in Space. Yeah, well, he also is a major Muppets part Space. of uh, Muppets Christmas Carol, which is probably my That's favorite true. Muppets movie. So you know, it's uh, he's 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 ever present. Gonzo is. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, big fan. Check it out. Has Disney some, Plus. Yes, Disney, Disney Plus, Plus has some songs in it. Not enough songs for it to be considered an, an uh, original Oscar contender musical. That is true. But um, if you do want to see an Oscar, Oscar contender musical, um, there is actually one that Jackson produced and starred in. Oh, that's true. That hey. is uh, having a theatrical release. Yes, it is. Uh, so if you're out here in Los Angeles, uh, you can see uh, Fix, like Lauren said, uh, Fix is the title of the film. Uh, I am. I uh, acted in it. I uh, helped produce it. It will be October 22nd through 28th at the Hollywood Cine Lounge. Uh, if you go on my uh, any of my social media pages, besides Instagram, I think, but you should be able to find information about it. I've been retweeting and sharing things. So there you go. Yeah, buy some tickets for Fix. Fix. All right. I think that's all we have. Correct. Yeah. So let's jump into our script, "The Magic Hour" by Ben Saleh. Boom. Everybody, welcome back to the Green Light. Green Light. Jackson here. And Lauren. And, and it's just us. It's just <laughs> us. Like we said at the beginning, you're stuck with us. Sorry if you were hoping for someone new. It's just us. We'll be reading Magic Hour, like we mentioned by Ben Saleh. This is a great script. Uh, it's it's on the shorter side, but uh, we think y'all are really going to enjoy it. Uh, we're doing something a little interesting today, because technically there are two characters in this. However, uh, the male character doesn't come in until the end. They have and no overlap. Exactly. So what we're going to be doing, I'm going to start off reading action lines uh, for the majority of the script, and then I will come in as the character of Billy towards the end. And then I will take over action lines, but I'll be reading Spring for the most part. Yes, exactly. Uh, Anything else before we dive into this? I think we can just really get our feet wet, our whole body wet if we're diving, I guess. (sighs) Okay. All right. All right. So this is The Magic Hour by Ben Saleh. Interior dirty airstream, dusk. A woman sits on a dirty couch in front of a camcorder. She emits an energy that is soft yet wild. This is spring, 31. The camcorder's red recording light shines brightly. Hi, 
My name is Spring Wells, and I have nine years of sobriety. But my parents died, my boyfriend died, my sister died, my dog died. I got nothing. And so I'm going to relapse, and I'm going to tape it. Montage. Outside her parents' house, Spring hands keys to a realtor. I sold my parents' house. Outside a different house, she lazily lies on a lawn chair. Dark sunglasses and cigarettes. I sold my house. Next to her is a large sign that simply says, Free shit. Take whatever you want. Leave whatever money. A couple exits the house carrying a TV. They toss 40 bucks into a yellow bucket next to Spring. She waves them along. Inside her car, Spring tosses the yellow bucket of money onto the back seat, spilling bundles of cash all over a small electric keyboard. In the passenger seat is a shoebox with crudely written words on top. Dead boyfriend's shit. A cell phone sits at the top of the box. Interior, exterior, car, dusk. Spring zooms up the 405. Just kidding. She sits in traffic. Interior, exterior, car, night. The Milky Way twinkles bright as she pulls up to an Airstream. Interior, dirty Airstream moments later. Spring opens the door to the Airstream with a swift kick, tripod and camera in hand. In her remaining hand is a box filled with different handles of hard liquor, her flavor of addiction. We are now back to where we started. She twists off the cap from the, off a bottle of Jameson. Via the viewfinder, Spring dances wildly around the tiny airstream. Heavy metal music blares from her iPhone. She cuts in and out of frame between dancing and swallowing whiskey. She tosses the bottle on the floor, grabs a beer can instead. She stabs the bottom corner of it with her keys. I'm going to break your record, Billy. She cracks open the top and shotguns the beer. She gags. She stops. She dry heaves. Fuck. I'm too old for this. Interior dirty airstream. Later. Spring sits on the couch looking at the camera. She has the electric keyboard in her lap. Her fingers delicately graze the keys. Cue Let It Be by the Beatles. Amy is my sister forever. Amy is my sister forever. She stops playing. She would hate that. She puts her fingers back on the keys. Billy, Billy, from the wastelands of the Kentucky. Shitlands, shit, shitlands from Kentucky. She stops playing. Fuck. Via viewfinder. Spring stares at us, a new bottle in her hand. Now, friend. You. Yes, you. You are wondering why I'm recording this. That's a great question. Great fucking question. I am filming this because I want to tell you one thing. Don't be sad. It's okay. I'm okay. I feel relieved, friend. (laughs) Relieved. Seriously. I feel so fucking relieved. It's over. I drink myself to death, and it's over. It's over. It's over. Thank God. Exterior airstream, night. Spring tosses items from a box labeled FML into a fire pit. Her MBA diploma. Her bachelor's diploma. Her high school yearbook. Her social security card. Her passport. Her birth certificate. With a roar, the blaze eats them and turns them to ash. She takes a swig of bourbon. She is rocking through bottles like a sailor. 
Opening her wallet, she tosses gift cards, credit cards, into the fire. A Polaroid falls out of the wallet. A Polaroid of her and Billy, 31. The dead boyfriend. Billy is kind of scruffy looking, but even in a Polaroid you can tell he has a gentle spirit. A human Labrador. She looks into the fire at the Polaroid. She violently throws it in. The fire devours it. She laughs, then vomits into the fire. Interior bedroom flashback dawn. A dog licks Spring's face. Her eyes snap open. Interior dirty airstream, present late morning. Spring's eyes struggle to open. She looks exactly like how she feels. Like trash. Exterior airstream moments later. She slowly stumbles towards the embers of the dying fire. A shoebox sits next to it. Dead's boyfriend's shit. Yeah, that box. Spring looks inside it. Her dead boyfriend's cell phone only remains. She lights a cigarette. Stares at the phone. Picks it up. How much worse can it get? She boots it up. Black. The white Apple logo. The screen loads. The wallpaper of the phone is a Polaroid of her and Billy. Spring glances at the ash of the physical Polaroid of her and Billy resting in the fire pit. She takes a deep drag. Her hands shake. Ding! This message could not be sent. Swipe up. An unsent message. To whom? Her. From Billy. Click. A video. Play. Interior car flashback day. Billy is sitting at a red light talking into his cell phone. I had a dream last night that you had left me. I did something really wrong and you were like, I am done with this boy. Exterior forest present moments later. Hungover and drunk spring lumbers slash runs up a hill at Yosemite. I kept wanting to talk to you in the dream, but no matter what I did, I couldn't. Interior car flashback day. Spring swigs from a bottle of Jack Daniels, honey whiskey. She is driving drunk and in and out of oncoming traffic. Exterior forest memorial, present day. Spring sits, hunched, at a roadside memorial for Billy. It was a nightmare. When I woke up, you were there. I felt like such relief. Fucking so much relief. I love you, baby. The recording freezes. Interior car flashback day. Spring's car races through a red light and into... Just wanted to let you know that... Yo, asshole, what are you doing? Exterior forest memorial continuous. Billy's death was her fault. Spring swears, sobs, and weeps. Her gaze moves beyond the memorial, beyond the distant mountains. And in that terrible silence, she understands the breadth of the word... Isolation. Everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. Green Light. It's Jackson here. And Lauren. And Lauren, who do we have here with us? Well, we have our Magic Hour Writer of the Month, uh, Ben Saleh. How are you doing? Oh, great. So happy to be on the pod. How are y'all doing? Pretty good. Uh, pretty chill Thursday morning for us, Thursday afternoon for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess uh, before we start out, we always have a couple questions that we ask our writers. So first, where are you calling us from, Ben? I'm from Jersey City on the East Coast right now. 
Oh, very nice. nice. Very nice. And, um, you know, we actually just found something out that uh, we didn't know. We, uh, Ben and I actually have a uh, emotion, or I guess a spiritual connection, if you will, because we both went to uh, UNC for college. So uh, any of you uh, fellow UNC fans out there listening, just know you're in good hands with this one. <laughs> yeah, go Tario, man. Happy to have another uh, Carolina Blue fan on, on, uh, on the, be on the pod as well. <laughs> Absolutely. There you Absolutely. Go. Uh, we also would love to know, what is your writer origin story? How did you get started writing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was never particularly athletic when I was younger. I think um, I was called terminally, uh, terribly hand-eye coordination by my uh, different coaches and gym teachers. So <laughs> I always just gravitated towards like writing and reading and uh, acting. But um, writing movies and screenplays and all that type of stuff really didn't kick off for me. Um, until my parents actually uh, moved to Africa. They're both um, teachers, and they got a grant to teach at some uh, a small school in Malawi, which is like this landlocked country in the middle of Africa. And so wow. when I was like nine or 10, yeah, I got, I, was, I obviously had to go with them. And uh, I was there, and like, I didn't know anyone there. And I'm this American kid. There's no real TV. There's nothing to like really do. And um, they had a good friend of theirs who actually had this huge um, VHS collection. And it had every movie from like Indiana Jones to the Joy Luck Club. And he would just like let me borrow these movies, some movies I probably shouldn't have seen when I was that age. And I would just run through them for the entire like two, three years that I was there. And it really gave me a sense of, films gave me a sense of community, actors gave me a sense of friends. The stories actually like opened my mind to different perspectives from different people. And the moment we came back to, um, you know, uh, the state side, I was immediately like, okay, well, this is what I want to devote my life to. This is what I want to like really, you know, what really like, you know, use my one life for. And I just started writing, I started acting and everything that I could with my friends, uh, like, you know, after school, we would like shoot short films during the summer and all that type of fun stuff. And that artistic, you know, addiction just spiraled further into college. I was uh, writing for the stage and screen minor. And then I was also in the drama department and, when I got an internship to come out to LA, I was immediately like, hell yeah. It, that was kind of, yeah, that's kind of my origin story. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's probably one of the more unique origin stories I, I feel like we've had. Yeah, uh, but, I would say. Yeah, but I think, you know, that that whole just love for, th- th- that moment that you found the love for, uh, you know, movies and TV, I think is 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 something that sort of spans across all of our uh, writer origin stories, but really cool where yours uh, developed from. Uh, so let's dive into the script a little bit. Uh, so uh, this script, Magic Hour, it's a short one, but it's uh, very powerful. Um, and w- one thing, I, I want to focus a lot on the character of Spring here, obviously our, our main character, the one we spend the most time with. Uh, so first question I have about Spring, uh, I find it really interesting just her name because, uh, you know, Spring is a season that we all know sort of about new life and growth, uh, while she herself has recently experienced, you know, innumerable heartbreak and death. Uh, was that intentional when named? spring or was that just a happy accident <laughs> no no that was very very intentional um it, i wrote it during the pandemic about the start of it and i had a lot of friends who uh, i think as most people did who got really heavily into drinking or other vices uh because of the whole the isolation of everything and i actually had some friends who um had some uh you know addiction issues in the past who had gone through rehab and they were really worried about like what the forced isolation would do to them and um i just started thinking about it. And I started realizing that a lot for a lot of them, 
their addictions were springing back up. And so it was just a one-to-one connection. Mm. I was just like, okay, clearly I have to name this person uh, Spring. And it was also in part due to the fact that, you know, this character is experiencing like a nuclear bomb going off in their uh, life. Mm-hmm. And from that waste, they're now like, you know, springing into this new world or new reality where it's just, you know, loneliness, isolation with the, probably very dark end so yeah it was totally intentional and that's kind of like where it uh, it came from yeah i i i think it's it's definitely clear this was written during uh the pandemic times <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure i can i can see where the inspiration <laughs> derives from <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know it was supposed to be a comedy no i'm just joking but yeah, oh, yeah, no. Definitely. no yeah I, I was laughing the whole time uh <laughs> Yeah, so another question about Spring. Um, has Spring always been cynical, or have the events that happened before this script changed her mind? That's a great question. I think I found her probably... I'm, I'm a very positive person in general, but I do have I do lean into cynicism a lot, and I think that's how I imagined her, being someone who always probably had an underlying cynicism to life because of what she's gone through with her addiction, but she had a pretty positive veneer, if you will, because of like, you know, having all these, um, you know, connections and relationships with her family and with her uh, love and all that type of stuff. And I think once those things were taken away, that cynicism just went full blown out and just dominated her personality, where it's just more of now a, um, you know, screw everything. I'm just going to go wild and I'm going to let my worst um, ambitions like have have uh have domain over my entire existence if that makes any sense no for sure definitely does no, like, yeah i definitely see that yeah like these moments were sort of the catalyst for really opening up that uh that wormhole for sure um so this this script really revolves around spring's isolation like we've been talking about but at the same time she's recording this video of herself and what she thinks might be her final moments etc uh, but she's recording it presumably for someone. So why why is she doing this in your mind? Does she hope someone specific will see it? Does she hope just anyone will see it? What's sort of her thought process with this? I think the thought process is that, that anyone would see it or just someone would see it. It's in a weird way like, um, like a living testament to the people that she loves and how far she's fallen. I think in her mind she didn't think that she would be the last human standing like if anything i think she thought like she'd be the first one to go because of her addiction issues and because of those substance abuse addiction addiction issues that she was all she always thought like hey with my past i probably have underlying health issues that would probably hit me like later in life i thought i would think my like my my sister my boyfriend you know my parents they would be the ones who actually um, lived longer than me and now that that's been turned Mm -hmm. on its head it's left her with a feeling of like I want to somehow like commemorate the love that I had for them, but at the same right. time mark the despair that I'm feeling inside. So it's like a weird combination of like survivor's guilt mixed with like I have to just even for them I have to like leave something behind to show like they meant something to me and everything that that's happening to me now is um is um that. Yeah, no, I I I really like that and I had something to say, and then I forgot all about it. Lauren, oh. did you have anything? <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say, so uh, at one point she does speak directly into the camera as if she's oh, looking yeah. at the audience. So especially if her desired audience is sort of just anyone, just anyone that can know about the the love she had for these people, 
Um, what what effect do you hope that that has on the person viewing this? That's another great question. I think the hope that she would have would be that you know, despite her failing at um, you know keeping her addictions at bay, um, she still appreciates all the effort that all those other people put in to like helping her out and caring for her and loving her, and despite everything, all the times that she like screwed up and messed up, she I think on a certain on a certain level feels like, hey, I'm letting them down in a way. Um, and she still wants to like sort of preserve, I guess, the hope that they had with her. Like, I, I think it's like that weird dual coin where she's just like, I know I'm like screwing up. I know these, all these people like cared about me and they all wanted me to like do better. And like, even if they were gone, they'd want me to be like, you know, still rock and rolling and having my addiction in control. But here I am crumbling. And I just want to say that like, you know, even with me taking this darker path, I still do appreciate and love everything that they did. And that being the final statement to whoever sees it being like, hey, you know, even if you have people in your life who you, um, you know, you care about, you, you hope to help and to get into a better place, if they fall and crumble and they just don't like stick that landing, that doesn't mean that they don't appreciate the help and love and care that you gave to them. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. At the end of the script, uh, you you wrote something that I think was really interesting. Uh, there is an action line that sort of implies, uh, or I think outright says, that Billy's death was her fault. I, is that something that you believe, or is that more of Spring talking like through those action I think lines? She feels responsible for it. Whether she was actually like mm-hmm. the catalyst, like in the real world, like did she, did her, did she actually like hit him, and that's what, and that's why he died. I kind of wanted to leave it up to the reader. I really want. I really wanted to just emphasize that, like, that is what she feels. So, and that is why she's like. That's why it was mm-hmm. the final, sort of the final thing that um, that took her down that dark path. Sure, she was drinking and driving at the time, but she wasn't ready to like just fully like get into an Airbnb, Airstream, and like drink herself to death. Like, she still had that final like, um, like a ring of hope. But by in her mind, killing um, Billy, that fully like open the door to um her taking this uh, going down this road yeah for sure absolutely um so last script question but it is kind of a long one um so you do something really interesting at the end of the script formatting wise like this is going to be really technical but you literally isolate the word isolation by putting you know a bunch of empty space before and after on the page so do you do this sort of unique formatting a lot in your scripts? And do you think screenplay should incorporate this more? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, more screenplayers, more screenplay should incorporate this. I think more screenwriters should do as well. I hope that when you guys read it, that you felt like it was, even though the material was like, you know, dark, I felt like it was a really energizing, I hope it was really energizing and like, quote unquote, fun to read in the sense that it was like, you know, you just turn page over page over page and you like, by the time you got to like the seven pages or whatever, you were like, whoa, that went by really quick. And I think by doing those stylistic like stuff, uh, stylistic choices, I think that makes it more exciting and more fun to read for the reader. And I think that's very, very important because, you know, when you have people who, who, are, who devote their time or devote half an hour, an hour to read your feature, your screenplay or your pilot, I think in my mind, I think every screenwriter should make sure that no matter what the material it is, that it's, fun for the reader to read. No one wants to read something that's like, you know, you know, 10 lines of action dialogue with like two pieces of like dialogue. You don't want to have something that's just like, oh my God, this is like a novel. 
Um, so I incorporate that those types of techniques into all my screenplays. I do all those like I sometimes do like different font colors for different like type words if I'm writing like something that's you know merits it. I like change the font size if I think it like it warranted as well for the story that I'm telling. But I do all those things so that I can hopefully make it so whoever I'm begging to read, whoever I've written, actually has a good time reading it. But the next time I send them something, they're just as hopefully even more excited to read it as well. Because at the end of the day, I mean, at my level, I'm just asking a, a bunch of friends and family members to read the stuff. And I want to make sure that they're just not like, oh God, not this again. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. I definitely do incorporate that across the board because I think it makes it like fun, funner to read no matter what type of content you're uh, writing. Absolutely. And I also think too that, you know, you can have all of the, the imagery that hints at like the mood and the tone of this piece as you want. But I really think there's something to be said for incorporating that tone into the very structure of the script, mm -hmm. you know, because um, I, I really think it, it makes it a more, I guess, immersive experience for the reader. Yeah. And I think, I think too, that f film is such a visual medium. And, you know, I feel like sometimes writers can fall into the trap of just like being super technical and just like, here's what I want to show. But I think there are different ways that you can convey what you want to show not just with the words but with like the structure with and the things like you were saying and it just like you said just makes it more fun and palatable to read and i think that's something that a, a lot of screenplay writers uh could do a little more so i i really appreciate it reading it in yours yeah, I think one of the one of the best advices that i ever got was uh that you have to like look at the uh the action line as like the as a character in and of itself, that the author themselves are a character that the uh, reader is reading. So anything you can do to make that type of that type of like, you know stylistically make that as interesting as possible will make it more even more interesting to the reader as well. But um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to ramble, but yeah, that's yeah, exactly everything you guys said. No, yeah, that's that's great. No rambling from you, Ben. So now let's get into some uh, some questions about you. Uh, so this one, uh, Lauren and I, Lauren and I were talking about this a little bit. So, in your in the email that you sent us, uh, your name was uh, Ben Kenobi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Ben Kenobi Sale is Kenobi your middle name? Yes, it actually is. It is my legal name. Okay, well then, in that case, has that made you the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, or has that made you hate Star Wars so much? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. Uh, actually, I love Star Wars. I'm an OG trilogy fan. Uh, fanatic, so definitely been a fan of Star Wars. I read like the books when I was like younger as well, of all the le of Legend series. Now, so I've been a big fan uh, for a while and real, yeah, forever. So it hasn't made me uh, it hasn't made me jaded too much for it. And most people who have like heard that that's my middle name have been usually pretty positive. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in the future for any of those parents who named their kids like Khaleesi. But for <laughs> Kenobi, it's definitely been it's definitely been very positive. So. Still a fan, not jaded at all, at all. And I also like Star Trek as well, so I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to a sci-fi content. There you go. There I, you go. I feel like as a, as a middle name, like, yeah, you, you can definitely get away with pretty much anything as a middle name. Exactly. I, I think that's, it's like you can reveal that if you want to, but you don't have to. You know, the people that you trust with it, you can <laughs> make sure they know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so sorry we just revealed it to everyone who listens to this show. Yeah, you're going to get 30 <laughs> emails from people being like, oh, is that real? Are you sure? 
<laughs> N- name name five Star Wars characters. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give them all my social security numbers so they can look it up. And, exactly. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. That would there be nice. Go. Yeah, we'll put that in the description of our episode, actually, yeah. so people will know. <laughs> Love this. Love this five. Um, so this is definitely a much more vague question, but we yeah. wanted to sort of leave it open-ended. Um, who is your biggest writing inspiration, whether it's uh, a writer that you admire or just someone that you find really inspiring to write about? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have, there's quite a few people who, um, who I look to when it comes to writing. Um, one of them definitely, of late, is uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridges from uh, Fleabag. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely, that definitely influenced uh, this script as well, just because of how she showed a more complex female, how a more complex woman character could be. And I don't think we've, I mean, growing up, like when I talked about the film that I watched on VHS, most of them were about like, you know, male, white characters. So of late seeing like different, you know, female writers actually get the chance to explore characters who are just so multifaceted. And with her writing, her writing specifically, it just opened my eyes to like how you can write and make like, you know, female characters a lot more interesting and a lot more complex than I think we've seen in general. After that, I'd definitely say Barry Jenkins. Um, obviously, Moonlight is a huge influence on me. Mm. I, I freaking love that film. Um, I think he's a great writer. And um, yeah, I mean, anytime I want to have a good cry, I just put on the soundtrack and it's like rock and roll. Kiss <laughs> and tears. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> Jordan Peele. Uh, gotta love him. I read, um, obviously, the screen play for... Uh, us and get out and he does a lot of stuff that we just talked about in terms of like um screenplay format of making it like very unique mm. and that has been a huge influence um on my writing as well that's awesome those are those are great inspirations i'll say it i'll say it <laughs> uh so since this is our october episode you know halloween's just in a couple weeks we figured we'd ask you a couple spooky questions just to, uh to end out the interview uh so our first one is what is your favorite horror movie and i know this is a big one <laughs> i mean honestly i well, get out is one of my favorite horror movies of like all time obviously but uh i won't repeat my answer the shining i think is one of the most unsettling and terrifying movies that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And every time I watch it, I like, it gets even more and more creepy. And then when you see all the documentaries based on it, like room one, two, seven, it just adds like an additional level of horror. But if we want to just str- like talk like straight horror, always good classics, um, the ring, yes, the American version, I, the <laughs> horse scene, when the horse jumps off the boat and gets hit by the propellers, you cannot tell me that that scene is not like horrifying. <laughs> and, uh, the, the second one, um, being wait uh this is gonna sound cheesy but it's arachnophobia i saw it when <laughs> i was like 10 one of those vhs tapes that i probably shouldn't have watched and it very much embedded in me a deep deep set of fear of spiders so uh yeah which is just escalated as i've gone older so those would be uh, my picks of uh spooky films for uh this october very great okay. very great so if, if any of you out there haven't seen them Please do. Also, speaking of movies that scared us as children that shouldn't have scared us as much as they did, I remember when the first Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage came out, the like the demon villain, or I, it was either the first or the second, but the demon villain in that movie scared the bejesus out of me, man. I was just terrified for a while. And now looking, we recently rewatched those movies. And they're and ridiculous. It's like, yeah, the effects are so bad, but to like young Jackson, man, that would, that would got me. I tell you what. <laughs> I totally hear you. My partner, my girlfriend, uh, 
she saw Terminator 2 when she was like extremely young mm. and she could just robots and robot villains just can't can't do it can't do it oh yeah huh. <laughs> oh yeah I guess my uh, small child experience, this is not even a horror movie, though, but when I was like five or six, uh, some kid in my first grade class talked about the Ghostbusters movies, so (laughs) I begged my mom to rent the first two Ghostbusters movies, and we did, and I was so scared. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Be careful what you wish for, Lauren. Yeah. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. All right. Next Halloween related question. What is your favorite Halloween costume you've ever had? Uh, the one I had uh, is also the one that got me possibly in the most trouble, not in the sense of it being like provocative, but more in the sense of it being utterly lazy. Uh, one year, uh, I decided we, a, friend, a couple of friends invited me out to like a, a Halloween party in West LA. And um, I just didn't have anything on hand that I could like wear. So I went to the dollar store, got a bunch of like name tags about like, you know, a dozen or so of them. And I just wrote down different um, movie characters like Tyler Durden and different Mr. Robot, and different like ones who had like alter egos, Bruce Wayne, mm. all these different ones that I stuck them across my body. And everyone else at the party had like all these elaborate and great costumes. And people kept on coming up to me and asking me, okay, what, what did you do? And I just kept on saying, oh, I'm a split, split personality because of all the different aliases that I had written on me oh, sure. and everyone hated me because of how how, how low grade of a costume it was uh, but it was also my favorite one because of how meta it was and how it referenced my love of movies so yeah. that would be my favorite if I've ever done <laughs> yeah everyone else spending like hundreds of dollars on their costume you yeah. spending a dollar <laughs> they're like how dare you sir how dare you <laughs> So, uh, this is our last question and our last Halloween question, and it's also another big one. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Or I guess just just candy that you could find trick-or-treating. Oh, that's a great question. And it's a no-brainer. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, all Mm. the way. I used to eat cereal when I was a kid. Hands down, champion of candy snacks, no question asked. That is All that right. is a solid one. I think that that's a that's a one. that's a pretty big one out there. That I'm might a big be one of my favorites, but like the one house in the neighborhood that would give out the king size candy, if you could get like the king size Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm. You're set for life. Set You're for life. King of the king of the neighborhood <laughs> at that point. I'm a big Twix guy exactly. personally, I but love Twix. I I also love me a good Reese's peanut butter cup. So hey, Ben yeah i i think that is all we have for you um so thank you for coming on man we we really appreciate you uh you joining us for this episode thank you so much for having me uh it was a great great honor to be selected and to be on the pod and i can't wait to uh listen to it and send it around to all my family and friends and force them as well (laughs) absolutely well we we love to hear that well, if you are not one of Ben's family and friends and you don't know how to get in contact with him, you can get in contact with him at the email in the description below. Yeah. Oh, oh by the way, do you have anything you'd like to plug for us, Ben? Anything you're working on or anything that you have coming out soon? Uh, yeah. Actually, I want to plug this podcast. I, if you guys are just a first-time listener, I tell you guys to subscribe, like, and go to their Patreon and become a producer. Oh, ben, wow, we're going to just make that, we're just going to clip that and then put that at the beginning of all of our episodes. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, thank, thanks so much again, man. And yeah, like Lauren said, if you want to get in touch with Ben, uh, look in the description below. Uh, am I forgetting anything, Lauren? Or can we send Ben off on his merry way? I think we can send Ben off on his merry way. All right, Ben. Well, once again, man, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we hope you enjoy the pod. Thank you so much. All right, have a good one.